The Great Divide from the Shins on KRCL 90.9. Starting us off here for Radioactive. And thanks to eBay for another excellent afternoon drive show. I'm Laura Jones, your host. And that song, I think, a great way to start tonight's show. Frontman Paul Trillo of the Shins told Rolling Stone last year when the song came out that, quote, I wanted to place the current state of things, this great divide we're going through, within the larger context of the universe, unquote. And I just think it's great to be reminded that when things get tough to back up, widen your perspective. Coming up on the show tonight, a couple of great songs to wrap around our community conversations, plugging you in to issues in our community. Coming up, I'll talk with Kevin Gunnell of the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. Every fall, they get out and about with their partners and stakeholders to reseed areas across Utah impacted by drought or wildfires. We'll find out when, where, and why with Kevin later this hour. And then a couple of folks from the Emigration Canyon Sustainability Alliance, which has a party planned this weekend at Rotary Glen Park at the mouth of Emigration Canyon. There's going to be food trucks, live music, fun for the kids. But most of all, it's your chance to connect with organizations like Utah Open Lands, Salt Lake County Watershed and Restoration, Utah Water Watch, the Division of Water Quality, Seven Canyons Trust, all folks working alongside residents to create a watershed action plan. You know, throughout the course of the pandemic, more and more of us headed into the foothills here in the Salt Lake Valley, up and down the Wasatch Front. And that means more of us in areas where we get our water from. We need to be mindful of what we leave behind when we go out there. But first, a conversation with David Ezekiel Brooks of a new nonprofit called the ABLE Fund. Hey, my name is David Ezekiel Brooks. I'm with ABLE Fund, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is an investment fund looking to invest into people of color, women, uh, refugees, and LGBTQ uh, business owners. And we have an event coming up this Thursday, September 16th called the fish tank. Great. I want to hear all about it, but I want to also connect some dots because when I first came across you, you were doing something similar. It was called Revolution United. So you've really focused on applying creativity and design and intention through all the work that you do to create community. Yeah. um, I think the driving like force here is to be able to flip flip uh, flip consumerism around Right. Like I want the consumer to be have have so much power that that they've had the power this entire time and to be able to provide a platform that allows for individuals to, you know, take part ownership or part success in the upside of a local business succeeding. You know, that's true community, like flipping the script to where it's not them selling to us. It's us working together to build the company and getting products that actually work for the people with the people. You're flipping the shark tank script. We all, if you haven't been living under a rock <laughs> and avoiding popular culture, it's shark tank and it's um, businesses pitching to high powered folks on uh, mainstream media. So what is fish tank about on Thursday night? Yeah. So fish tank will have roughly a hundred people in the crowd and all of these people who have paid the entrance, they actually are contributing. All that money gets um, invested into the company. Um, one of the companies that wins, there'll be three companies on stage. We'll have a panelist of individuals who will be giving advice on whether or not it's a good deal or any of those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's the crowd that's deciding 
which of the companies move forward. And the reason behind that is because each of these companies could use a tremendous amount of support when it comes to word of mouth, right? So by having not only this infusion of, you know, 50 times 100 people, it's $5,000, Able Fund is going to match that. Not only having this extra $10,000 potentially going into their account to make these next moves to scale their business, they're going to have 100 people, hopefully, in the crowd that are supportive of whatever endeavor, whatever project, whatever marketing plan that is going to be released. So hopefully they tell all their people about it. So they become ambassadors as a result of participating in this crowd sourced uh, selection process called Fish Tank. So what are the three companies that folks get to choose from on Thursday night? And again, local, right? Yeah, they're all local. Um, people of color, women are the uh, are the two for this event. Um, one of them is called Halabakdo. It's a challah dough and challah bread um, that gets delivered specifically to your door. Uh, the other one is Jaguar, a cult, a artist collective that has been very successful in the past year, even through COVID, in producing um, really experiential events. And the last group is Sauce Lake City, and they are a consultant group that is helping individuals take their family recipes or whatever sort of sauces that they've come up with and being able to help them get them in the stores. I was thinking about that just the other night. If I could just <laughs> bottle my mom's flank steak marinade. There you go. I <laughs> know people would love it. I think there's a lot of us out there that would like to do it at the very least for friends and family, maybe a one-off. So that's uh, that's the one that grabs me right away because I feel a connection to it. And I'm guessing that's kind of what happens in a small crowd presented with these three options. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's beautiful, like the, the concept of it, like if it, if it works, right, it's all a hypothesis. Like, is the community actually gonna support something like this? Is, is, the, is the business going to be successful with more backing from a crowd, right? And, you know, out, there'll be strategy, like a lot of these founders don't necessarily have years of business experience where they have exited and any of those sorts of things where they've raised capital. So I'll be, I'll be helping them. And that's one of the things that's part of my mission is being able to help them work through that and, um, and actually scale their business too. So it's not only just the capital, it's strategy. And that's probably my biggest like thing that I've been focusing on as of late is helping businesses raise millions of dollars of capital and scale. And why haven't I been doing that at the local level? So this is the first attempt at that. So the first fish tank and how often will you be doing these? Uh, we'll be doing it once a quarter to begin with. And if the traction is big enough, then we'll probably up it up to once a month. And if it's even more um, sustainable than that, we'll go probably once a week. The mission is to, you know, have it be picked up by some sort of local station, local TV station, or maybe even make our own YouTube, you know, but um, to just have, have it as entertaining as Shark Tank as well will be part of the mission. And that's what the script is going to be calling for on Thursday as well. So it'll be part of a live audience as well that we'll be um, filming too. Able Fund is the group behind this. And I was surprised reading up about Able Fund. It's a nonprofit. It is. It's a nonprofit. It's a unique approach in venture capital. It is a very unique approach. It's a um, nonprofit evergreen investment fund. So all of the all of the revenue um, or all of the um, dividends that come back to the fund stay in the fund to be reinvested into other people of color and underserved entrepreneurs as well. Where can people read up on the Able Fund, but also Fish Tank that's happening Thursday night? 
Yeah, um, the easiest way is just ablefund.org and it'll have your tickets there and I have all the information. You can find out everything you need to know about how we're working, how the fund works, uh, specifically in what sort of initiatives we have coming up as well. I'm excited about a lot of things. Well, David, keep in touch. It's been a long time and I know you care so much about the community and applying creativity and design process to uh, the situations, the the issues in our community, finding solutions. So thanks for what you do, man. Thank you for what you do, getting the word out there. I mean, people need to stay active. It's all about action at the end of the day. You know, like there's a lot of people who want to be activists and whatnot, but I love the term of an actionist and getting out there and doing something. David Ezekiel Brooks. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the ABLE Fund and the Fish Tank event coming up Thursday night. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Get yourself or your loved ones vaccinated today at a no-cost clinic from the Salt Lake County Health Department. First and second doses available, no appointment ever necessary. For details, visit slco.org health locations. You're listening to Radioactive on Listeners Community Radio of Utah. I'm Laura Jones, and thank you for your support. It's your support that makes this show and every other show on KRCL possible. For more details about this nonprofit radio station, you can always go to our website, krcl.org, and check out our quarterly reports and the different programs we offer, not to mention there's a donate button there. And now let's turn our attention to the watershed, specifically in Emigration Canyon. These next two folks that I spoke with are part of a group of stakeholders in Emigration Canyon working to create a watershed action plan. And they want you to get involved because maybe you don't live in Emigration Canyon, but you certainly, if you're in the Salt Lake Valley, get your water out of Emigration Canyon. And coming up Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. at Rotary Glen Park at the mouth of the canyon, they're hosting a watershed celebration. I spoke with two of the folks involved. Here we go. My name is Billy Stockman. I'm president of the Emigration Canyon Sustainability Alliance, and we are organizing an Emigration Canyon um, watershed celebration on Saturday the 18th. Um, Rotary Glen Park uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. My name is Eric McCulley. I'm with River Restoration and we are a river engineering group and working on the Emigration Canyon watershed improvement and part of the watershed celebration. So why is this coming together? Give us a little bit of the backstory on what brings us to this moment on September 18th at Rotary Glen Park, Vili. I think the event is a celebration of our watershed, of the beauty and uh, of the beauty of our canyon and the value of our environment um, and the lifestyle um, it brings. And with that also um, an awareness of some of the threats to the watershed and a call to action to do something about that together. And together meaning stakeholders, all stakeholders involved. So environmental organizations, uh, regulatory agencies, residents, uh, we want everybody together and find solution to some of the issues that we have uh, here in the canyon. So it's a lot, it's about stewardship, stewardship um, in the canyon. I take it you live in the canyon or at least recreate there? Absolutely. Yeah, I live right by the creek. And the Alliance was formed in 2019, I understand, in response to, like you said, these concerns, approval of new public wells and the Burr Fork drainage, 
impairment of private wells, E. coli contamination of the creek, lack of stream flow, effects of climate change, on and on and on. That's a lot for stakeholders to get their arms around, which is where Eric comes into the picture, I understand. Eric and River Restoration. You guys are working on an action plan, Eric? We're working on a a watershed-wide plan, which is really comprehensive in nature that not only does it focus on just people right beside the creek, but it focuses on the entire watershed. Um, There are sources of pollution up there, um, which include, you know, a high level of E. coli in the stream, which is, you know, in general uh, will come from, you know, human inputs. And so one of the things we're working on is improving the infrastructure for waste disposal up in the canyon. Um, But we're also... So taking more of a watershed approach where we're looking at, you know, trails and, and dog use in trails and, and you know, there's places being loved to death. Um, and we're also looking at increasing the water in the creek in order to make sure that, you know, if there's more water in the creek, it's a lower concentration of pollutants usually. So we're trying to take a, a broad approach to look at what are the different ways we can get people engaged and different actions we can take in both the short and the long term. So, Vili, as we've experienced all summer long with wildfires and what that does to our air, um, I'm guessing there's some concern about our our watershed, not just because of that, but all the other things we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, a major source of our drinking water comes out of Emigration Canyon. So when I hear E. coli contamination, I I get a little concerned, even though I don't live in the canyon. So lots of different things that folks can get involved with on this issue. But what are some of your goals for the watershed celebration? That's right. And, um, I'm, you know, and certainly climate change um, is affecting the whole watershed. Um, I personally think that it's important for all residents, not just in Emigration Canyon, but in the whole Jordan River watershed that we are a part of to think about the watershed and how important water is for our life and and look around and see what what we can do what we can all do to help improve the watershed Um, because we are part of the whole watershed of the the jordan watershed so it's not just emigration canyon but we Yeah, we're contributing, right? So if we don't clean up our act, it moves down the stream and it becomes somebody else's problem. And we can't can't have that. Really, this has been ramping up for a while, so it can't just be getting loved to death because more people are out because of COVID in our foothills. Um, But I'm guessing that's adding urgency to getting this uh, action plan in place. Right. And, but that also means that, you know, it, it shows how important it is to get everybody together. You want to hear everybody's voice. Um, in order to find solutions, that's what needs to happen. We need to talk to everybody. We need to find compromise and, um, and make sure that there is a sustainable source of water for all residents and um, animal and flora and fauna in the canyon. Um, and that doesn't happen by just pushing from one side. That that's happens when you pull everybody together and you talk to other environmental agencies and you make connections uh, because, you know, we are 
a very small grassroots organization, friends, um, neighborhoods, concerns about the watersheds. But this connection to regulatory agencies and other environmental agencies, and also uh, this watershed plan that has been put in motion by our organization, I think um, we can come up with concrete ideas to help improve the watershed. Eric, paint a picture for us, if you would. I'm guessing you got to be up there taking a look firsthand at things and uh, maybe paint a picture for our listeners who haven't had the opportunity to get up into Emigration Canyon. What this place looks like, feels like when you're there? Well, you know, Emigration Canyon is really one of the gems of Salt Lake City and the Salt Lake Valley. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a canyon that's easily accessible. Lots of folks bike up the road. Um, there's also trails and, and bike trails and places that people can go to. And there's um, Emigration Creek, of course, uh, runs down the center of the canyon. And then there's lots of different tributaries to Emigration Creek that get you up into the the mountainous areas. Um, you know, I believe it's a 4,500, 5,000 at the base, and then it goes all the way up above 9,000 uh, feet in elevation. So it goes through a a pretty broad environmental gradient. And it really, it gets you up into some just amazing forests and, you know, with running water and um, wetlands and, and wildlife corridors that connect across the region. You know, if you look, it connects over to Morgan Valley and over to Park City and, and then, you know, over towards um, East Canyon and Lambs Canyon. So it's a big, you know, center for wildlife um, passage. Um, there's riparian areas, which are important for birds and other wildlife. And, uh, it's just a beautiful place year round. And one of the really interesting things is, you know, every season is different up there. I take my kids up there in the wintertime, um, for hikes. And of course they, it's a little trouble getting out of the house because they're, uh, you know, inertia takes place. But when we get out there, they're just like, this is just amazing. You know, look at the sparkling snow and the beautiful mountains. And, you know, you can see moose tracks and, and all kinds of things. So it's, it's just a real gem close to the city and, um, you know, relatively accessible. And there's not that many residents up there. There's, you know, there's less than a thousand residents or, or landowners. So it's a, you know, it's a relatively, you know, small group of stakeholders. Um, but they all, you know, they have their desires and, and some desire solitude, some desire the, you know, closeness to the mountains. Um, but I think we can all agree that water connects us, as Billy mentioned, and, and you know, water's life. It's, it's what brings us all together. And, and that's what we're trying to improve upon is really the water quality, water quantity and the habitat and open space qualities up there. And Billy, that's what you want to shine a light on and get the community outside of those living right there by the creek like yourself to come and celebrate and acknowledge on Saturday, September 18th. What do you have planned from 4 to 8 p.m. at Rotary Glen Park that people can do or take part in? Well, we're going to have um, live music by Gaspacho. Uh, of course, there's booths uh, over 15 Environmental organizations and regulatory agencies are participating. Uh, Utah Open Lands is going to be there. We're going to have an 
actual owl there and um, a little bird show because we have the owl's meadow preserve also in Emigration Canyon. So we want to celebrate that. Um, uh, lots of kids activities, um, you know, uh, several of the organizations that are participating also bring uh, things where kids can be involved in, um, in doing some water testing and, uh, and other activities. And so I think it's going to be a, a, lot, a, a great event, wonderful community event that will bring us all together. And then Eric, moving into the fall and winter, there are going to be public meetings for folks to get involved with, correct? That's correct. Um, so, you know, at the watershed event, um, there will be an opportunity to, for folks to comment on uh, watershed issues, uh, either that they see as opportunities or things that they're concerned about, or, you know, they'll be able to sign up for future stewardship events and volunteer events. And based on the input we've received so far and the additional input we get from this event, we are going to have a series of what we call best practices training series where we bring together a group of experts and we're, you know, due to COVID, we're, we're doing Zoom calls. So we'll have four 75-minute best practices training calls. The first one's going to be on water quality where we'll bring together some of the regulatory agencies and some of the funders and other agencies working together to improve the water quality. The second one is gonna be on septic system maintenance and um, some other things about just how to deal with, um, you know, wastewater and, and water pollution control. Uh, the third one is gonna be on open space values and Utah open lands and, um, the Sageland Collaborative and some other groups are going to talk about the importance of natural open spaces for quality of life. And then the fourth one is really going to be a summary of all the different aspects of this watershed plan and an action plan, which includes specific milestones, outcomes, and, you know, really kind of marching orders for folks and how really to provide opportunities for people to get involved. Um, the first two are going to be this fall, and the second two are going to be early in the season and late winter. Eric, thanks so much for your time. Vili, where can we direct people for more details on the event on the 18th, but also the uh, opportunities to get involved later with the public events, public comment periods? Our website is www.emigrationsustainability.org. Email is emigration. Um, sustainability at gmail.com. Willie Stockman of the Emigration Canyon Sustainability Alliance and River Restoration's Eric McCulley. Check tonight's show notes for links to the organizations as well as the event on Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. at Rotary Glen Park. It's at the mouth of Emigration Canyon. KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, plugging you into your community weeknights at 6 with conversations and a playlist to match. The last conversation I want to share with you this evening is with someone from the Division of Wildlife Resources that will be spending the next couple of months reseeding wildland areas ravaged by drought and wildfires. My name is Kevin Gunnell. I'm the Habitat Coordinator at the Great Basin Research Center in Ephraim, Utah, with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. So paint a picture for us of where Ephraim is on uh, the map of Utah. Um, it's basically dead center of Utah. If you, you look at a map, we're, we're almost right in the middle of it. Um, 
right over the mountain from Nephi area. So just to the east of I-15 over the mountain. Well, thanks for giving us some time today. I wanted to chat with you about a particular program that you're involved with, given your work, and that's as part of the Utah Watershed Restoration Initiative. Uh, The DWR works with other partners to reseed areas across Utah that have been impacted by drought or wildfires. And key to that is the DWR-owned and managed warehouse in Ephraim used to store roughly 1 million pounds of seed before it is planted in the fall. So you're about to do this work. 1 million pounds of seed. What kind of seed are we talking about? Um, It's uh, restoration wildland species. So um, a a lot of grass species, uh, as well as uh, flowers and shrub species. Uh, We being a habitat agency, we have a real interest in um, shrubs for big game species on winter ranges. So uh, we run this spectrum um, from sagebrushes to blue bunch wheatgrass. So is this stuff just to you know stabilize the the hillside, so to speak, or does this eventually grow into feed for wildlife? It's dependent on the objective of the the projects, but it's used for um, obviously for feeding wildlife. We we want to feed our our wildlife out there, but it's also used, especially after fire rehabilitation for stabilization of soils. Um, so often there's different objectives for for the projects. A lot of our rangelands are degraded in nature. And so um, what, what we're trying to do is restore and bring a lot of those habitats back into a functioning state um, to improve watersheds, biological diversity, and um, just sustainable use of those landscapes. So I'm thinking of all the fires that we've uh, smelled and seen the smoke from all summer long. That's what we're talking about. These create burn scars and uh, when you get the, the storms, hopefully we eventually get storms, there's a concern that creates this, there's a word for it, and I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it right now, maybe you know, but it just creates this sludge that can move if it's on a hill. It needs to have the plant life there to keep it in place, right? Yeah. So, I mean, on higher elevation sites in particular, or steeper slopes, you can certainly have erosion and, uh, and runoff from, from those fires, scars. Um, but we, we deal a lot with desert and rangeland fires um, too, as well, more flat areas where maybe erosion um, isn't as noticeable, um, but wind erosion certainly occur- occurs. We lose topsoils. And, you know, this year uh, we've actually been fairly, uh, fairly fortunate in Utah not to really have had major fires. Most of the fires have been based in surrounding states and um, but that hasn't been the case. We, we've certainly done, done, had our fair share of fire rehab the last several years, um, consisting, comp, uh, composing most of, comprising most of our, our seed mixing for efforts for, for the, the year. This year, though, most of our work will be focused more on our proactive work. So fire re- restoration is really considered reactive in that a disturbance has happened and you're going in and trying to to uh, to address that disturbance after the fact. Um, a lot of our proactive work through uh, an initiative called the Watershed Restoration Initiative, uh, that's going in pr- knowing that there are problems on the landscape, going in and trying to address those prior to, to disturbances. So trying to 
create a, a situation where we won't have the mega fires, where we can control fires, where we can reestablish um, the, the desired vegetation and also not have, um, not, not to break the, the annual grass cycles to, you know, that feed that fire cycle. And that's really, we're having an opportunity this year to really focus on that proactive work because we, we haven't had the fires. Um, and so that's where our efforts are this year. Kind of have my mind this vision of Johnny Appleseed out there throwing, you know, apples and apple cores out there. But this is a little more involved. How many folks are involved in this and how do you spread the seed? Uh, well, so uh, it's a the watershed restoration initiative itself is a uh, broad network of partner groups, federal, state, um, private entities. Uh, where we range from um, individual landowners up to the Bureau of Land Management and Forest Service agencies. Uh, we work with all of them. Uh, it's really a cross boundary effort, cross fence line effort. So we, we try not to just work to fence lines, we try to work across it. Um, and so when you ask who's involved, it's a lot of people. Um, they, the projects are devised regionally. So they're really devised from the ground level, the people out there on the ground. Uh, um, they develop these projects, they propose them, they're vetted, they're ranked and selected. Um, and then it comes back and we put resources and money to those, to those highest ranked projects. And then as we get into the, that's all the, that's all the bureaucratic part of it. You know, there's a process just to get to that, to the projects themselves. But then when we go to get them on the ground, uh, most of the, the on the ground work is actually done by private contractors. Um, and so there's an economic stimulus to, to these public dollars going out there and that we hire public or private entities to, to do the work on the ground. Um, and as far as applying the seed, uh, a lot of it is flown on by aerial application by either uh, fixed wing aircraft or, or helicopters. And then um, we, we try to bury the seed. And so there's, we use um, tools like uh, anchor chains pulled between dozers to go and turn up the soil and help to bury that seed. We also use um, basically uh, agricultural drills on steroids called uh, rangeland drills, which we can pull over rough terrain and uh, bury that seed and place it. Um, we will also broadcast seed over rough terrain that we can't get over uh, with a mechanical disturbance to bury that seed. But we prefer not to do that because experience has shown that we have much less success just throwing the seed on the ground. We like to incorporate that. And, and methodologies vary based on project objectives, based on locale based on species that we're trying to establish, there, there's different requirements. And so there's a lot of technical know-how that, that goes into designing each project. One, you need mother nature to cooperate and bring the rains, the snow to... And then that, that's, <laughs> and then do your rain <laughs> dance. That's really, we are, at, we are at the behest of mother nature. And honestly, a lot of our failure is, even if we do everything the best we can, we still have a lot of failure this year being a perfect example of so the taps turned off really early and we've we they, 
there's nothing you can do if you can't water that that, that seed. We've got a great website that really is uh, gives a deep dive into what's going on and the different interactive maps where folks can go and check it out if they're so inclined and and see the projects and how they're ranked and uh, when the windows open again uh, for folks who want to apply or propose something. What's that website? Um, it's the watersheds.utah.gov um, is the informational site uh, that you can go to. Um, and it, from there, you can link to all of the individual projects and yeah, you can, like you said, really deep dive into it if you'd like. There's an interactive mapping system that shows current, past, um, proposed projects. And yeah, you can really deep dive into a lot of that that information there. Plus, you can find out why DWR is cutting down all those trees or um, recent peer-reviewed articles about the impacts of projects and such. Exactly. Yes. There, there's a lot of um, explanatory information, a lot of, you know, educational um, information in there for for informing, you know, why these projects are happening. It because it it does it can seem um, it can seem uh, it, it seems very devastating to go in and take out a lot of trees and um, but to to understand the rationale for why some of those projects are happening. Um, it, it's it's a good spot to get a base baseline idea of what's going on out there. That is Kevin Gunnell, Range Trend Project Leader with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources down at the Great Basin Research Center in Ephraim. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the Utah Watershed Restoration Initiative.